0: Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm Chisholm & Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on
1: the latest VA benefit news. This is the Veterans Legal Lowdown with Chisholm Chisholm & Kilpatrick. I'm Lindy Nash. I'm Kayla Genoprio, and I'm Amy Odom and today we're talking about the seven most common conditions affecting women veterans. Uh, let's start with just some kind of general statistics about women veterans. Kayla, why don't you start us off?
0: Sure. Um, So the female population of veterans only takes up about 10% of the total veteran population So it is pretty small currently Um, We have seen some increase in it over the past hundred or so years as certain um, laws and restrictions have been lifted Um, According to a 2015 study um, it was anticipated that the numbers would increase by about 18,000 women veterans um, over the next 10 years and in the next 25 or so years, um, they're expecting that number to look more like 16.3% of all living veterans. So, we are seeing a rapid and steady increase um, in the number of female veterans. Um, another very interesting thing about female veterans is it's a very young population. Um, again, because we're seeing an increase in the in the women that are joining the military and the services, um, about 80% of the female population is between the ages of 25 and 64 years old. Um, so they are very young. Um, and we're also seeing that they're... Um, more than half of them are involved in the more recent war. So within the Gulf War era We're seeing more than half of our female veterans. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Ton of excellent
1: information um, Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about disabilities that affect women veterans and what they see kind of on a daily basis?
2: Well, sure as of 2018 approximately half a million disabled uh, Women veterans were in the United States. That's about 23% of all um Uh, veterans have a service-connected disability and that number rose about 30,000 in just 2018 alone. 54% of those women have a service-connected disability or disabilities that are rated 50% or above, which is pretty um, astounding when you think about it. Uh, Another pretty interesting statistic is that 3% more women veterans have a service-connected disability than do men. Well, thank you very much. So
1: now that we've touched on some of those statistics Why don't we get into the main portion of our broadcast today? uh, The seven most common disabilities for women veterans. So um, these top seven disabilities actually account for about 30% of all service-connected conditions in women So that just shows how prevalent they are. Um, So why don't we start off with PTSD?
2: And I think Amy will tell us about that. Sure. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a Um, mental health disability that affects people who have been exposed to uh, a a difficult stressor. Um, And about 20% of women of the Gulf War veteran population um, have PTSD and 12% of all women in all populations have PTSD. The way that we see it generally in the veterans' context is that women experience some sort of stressor in service that might be combat, it might be a car accident, or some other very stressful experience, and a lot of times it's military sexual trauma, which is um, a difficulty that women face disproportionately in the military. Um, It's pretty it can be challenging to prove a claim for PTSD um, because you have to have credible supporting evidence of an in-service stressor, um, and for especially like military sexual trauma, that's not something that you would t- normally see documented in the in the treatment records. Um, but for other types of stressors, such as like car accidents or perhaps something. Um, being fired upon in Iraq or something along those that those lines, you you would normally find that in the service treatment records. And VA has recently, well, as of two thousand and eight, has um, lowered this the uh, evidentiary requirement for showing um, that you had a stressor like something like being fired on. As long as you can show that you have. Uh, you experience fear of a hostile military or terrorist activity, VA will accept your statements. It still remains a little more difficult to show um, that you suffered a personal assault in service. Um, In that case, VA will require something other than your own statements um, showing that uh, there was personal trauma in service. Um, and that includes not only military sexual trauma, but also something like physical abuse, like domestic abuse, or something like that, that also affects women women disproportionately. In order to uh, prove your stressor in that case, you'll need something more like perhaps um, a, a statement from a friend saying that you shared some details with him or her around the time of the of the assault. Um, but another way you can show it is by showing that there was some sort of behavioral change in service, that prior to the stressor, perhaps your performance was um, was very good. You didn't have many problems, you didn't experience any type of, depression or anything like that, but then after the stressor, you can see in, the, in your personnel records that your performance started to deteriorate and perhaps you started to um, show a little more depression or withdrawal after the stressor. And those are known as markers, right? That's right. They're called behavioral changes or markers. Um, and veterans who file PTSD claims based on a military sexual trauma or other personal assault will likely be afforded a VA examination. Um, The regional office will ask the veteran to attend an examination with uh, a mental health professional from the Veterans Benefits Administration who will take the veteran's history, review the claims file, and will look for those types of markers in the claims file and the service treatment records. And sometimes markers
1: aren't always really clear, right? So it can be even starting substance abuse problems or um, good behavior and bad behavior in That's service. Right. Um, and even notations of pregnancy tests or STD tests can be markers, um, anything along those lines to show that
2: maybe some sort of assault happened. That's right. Or requests to transfer yes. to your duty station right. is one thing. Yep. Um, so basically anything that shows that there was some sort of change mm-hmm. in the veteran's life right. following the stressor.
1: And I know there was a period of time where proper protocol wasn't always followed in military sexual trauma cases and so maybe you could touch on the history of that and kind of how that's evolved.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. So like we had just talked about military sexual trauma and other types of personal assaults are not usually documented in the service treatment records and VA adjudicators are generally always looking for some sort of documentation of the in-service injury. So. Uh, these claims were being disproportionately denied in November 2013 the American Civil Civil Liberties Unit and SWAN the Service Women's Action Network um, published a study that showed that there was a, that VA was denying uh, PTSD based on MST military sexual trauma claims at significantly lower rates every year from 2008 to, 2020, to 2012 Um, And there was a there were 10 percentage points between the denial rate of PTSD claims for men and for women which is a pretty staggering difference Um, Shortly after that study was published VA did um, Make some internal changes to their training and claims processing procedures Um, and you know it was looking up like these claims were going to be handled better, but unfortunately in 2018 VA's own Office of Inspector General found that there were still a lot of problems with the processing of these particular claims based on military sexual trauma. Um, The OIG found that half of MSC claims were improperly processed Um, and it was for things like the line adjudicators not being specialized or trained on MSC claims, which Mm -hmm. is what part of the initiative was following the ACLU and SWAN uh, report, Um, VA was just marking claims as contradictory without doing any type of clarification or follow-up, so there there seem to be still problems in this area and hopefully they'll be resolved soon. Great.
1: And then to kind of wrap up the discussion of um, PTSD and military sexual trauma cases, uh, as an advocate, do you have any advice as to how best um, to go through your PTSD claim or MST claim maybe certain pieces of evidence that are really helpful I know you kind of touched on maybe buddy statements or things along those lines But any advice to someone who's filing one of these claims?
2: Yeah, my vi- advice would be to Give the VA as much information as possible about um, the circumstances surrounding a, surrounding the assault in terms of Any type of changes in your behavior following the assault, anybody you might have told. um, If you can find somebody that you told about it um, and get a a statement from that person, that would be great. Just think about ways in which your life may have changed um, following the assault and that will be helpful evidence to prove your stressor. Also, if you um, are currently seeking treatment and have been seeing somebody about any um, current residuals of the assault, um, perhaps getting a, an opinion from that person asking your therapist or your your doctor to write a letter confirming that you, know, you, you suffer from symptoms that are related to a um, personal assault will be actually really great evidence. Awesome. Thank you.
1: So why don't we move on to the next disability um, which would be back concerns and back issues. So I believe in 2015 uh, back conditions were actually the most uh, commonly diagnosed concern in the VA system. So Kayla, why don't you walk us through um, some information about musculoskeletal conditions in the back?
0: Yeah. Um, So about 58% of women um, were treated for musculoskeletal conditions specifically for the back um, in 2015 according to that study, Um, whereas only about 47% of men were actually being treated. So the number of women being treated for back conditions is actually a little bit higher. There are three different disabilities that um, are most commonly seen in women. Um, The first is cervical or lumbosacral strain, Mm -hmm. um, which is basically just caused by overuse and it's uh, microscopic tearing of the muscles and the tendons, um, which is really the most common cause of back pain that we see. Um, VA will rate this sort of condition based on um, range of motion testing. So, when you do go to exams, they'll be looking at things like how m- much you can bend forward or backwards or side to side, um, and that's how they're going to rate the condition. Um, and I'll get a little bit more into sort of how the examinations do work a little bit later for all the back conditions. Um, the second most common one that we see is intervertebral disc syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is when the discs between the, verte- the vertebrae start to break down. Um, It's usually made worse when there is prolonged sitting and standing and bending down. Um, And this is rated a little bit differently than the normal lumbosacral strain or the cervical strain. Um, This is rated based on incapacitating episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're looking at really bed rest, um, which has its own set of problems. Um, (laughs) um, Bed rest can actually worsen Um, IVDS for a lot of veterans. Um, It's really not prescribed by doctors. but that is how VA physicians and VA adjudicators are going to be looking at that condition. However, if range of motion testing would result in a higher rating, VA will rate it based on range of motion. Um, the third most common one that we see is degenerative, ar- degenerative arthritis of the spine, excuse me, yeah. um, which is just when the cartilage between the joints and the, um, and the discs in the neck and the back start to break down. Okay. Um, again, just caused by overuse, repetitive stress on the back, um, and it's another very common cause for pain. And
1: this might be kind of self-explanatory, but why do you think that these types of orthopedic conditions are so frequent in veterans in general? Mm-hmm. In women, but and in, in general.
0: Um, I think just the nature of what military service is. A yeah. lot of it is very physical. It's very um, demanding on the body. Um, so it does cause a lot of breakdown. We also see it secondary to a lot of conditions. Um, specifically, if you're looking at maybe foot or knee conditions where the veteran now needs to walk with you know a limp. Um, it could cause secondary issues with the back and the spine. Great. And I know you touched on this
1: briefly, but could you walk us through um, a VA exam? You know, if you're scheduled for an exam for your back, uh, how would that normally go? And maybe any advice to someone who is scheduled for one of these exams?
0: Right. So, like I said, um, VA does largely rate back conditions based on range of motion testing. So, they're going to be um, asking you to do a lot of physical testing, um, you know, how many degrees you can move forward, backward, side to side. Um, They should also be looking at things like how severe your condition is during flare-ups or with repetitive use over time. So they shouldn't just be looking at sort of objectively what's going on that day. Um, They should be asking you questions about how it affects your daily life um, and how severe it is on a day-to-day basis uh, as well as what causes flare-ups, what sort of things will trigger it. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that um, there's a lot of secondary conditions for back. Um, So if you are at an exam and you Um, Do you have some secondary conditions like radiculopathy or in severe cases incontinence? Um, That's something that you do want to be honest with your examiner about and it's always really important to be honest about your symptoms so don't over exaggerate them, but don't diminish what you're experiencing either because right. it's what VA really does rely on when they're making decisions on these claims. Right. Definitely. Yeah.
1: During exams, it's definitely not the time to you know be your most tough self. Um, be honest and explain to them what you're experiencing and um, you know even if it's something you may not really love to talk about, it's really important that you're honest with the VA examiner because as Kayla said, um, VA exams are often found very probative um, and they rely on those very frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, any last pieces of advice to someone who is filing a claim for uh, an increased rating for their back condition? Um, any pieces of advice for what to submit to be most helpful?
0: Yeah. Um, so, like any you know normal service connection claim, VA is going to be looking for three things. Um, one is evidence that the condition exists. So, in most cases, a diagnosis of the mm-hmm. condition or at least evidence of pain. Um, they're going to be looking at something that happened in service, and then they're looking for a nexus opinion linking that condition to whatever happened in service. Um, so medical records showing treatment for a back condition, especially if they show continuous treatment from service, can be super helpful. Um, lay evidence can also be very helpful, especially if you're looking at things like incapacitating episodes. Um, how long are you really on bed rest? How often are you kind of confined to A Recliner or a bed um, because your back is so severe that you can't move So lay evidence from you as well as family members or friends who can witness um, how severe it is can be really helpful Great. Okay, let's move on to
1: number three the most common disability uh, major depressive disorder So I believe that uh, women actually experience this 1.7 times or they're more likely to experience
2: it uh, than men. Is that right? That's true. Okay, so why don't you tell us more about MDD? So major depressive disorder is actually the second most common wow. service-connected disability among female veterans wow. um, right now there are 26,500 cases of depression among women um, so you know and it, it, it makes sense that depression is something that is associated with military service because a lot of times people are um, separated from their families for long periods of time um, there, especially you know, in the more recent conflicts, there have been multiple deployments. Mm. People have been um, expected to deploy several times, um, but also women face disp- disproportionately again um, issues with harassment from their um, peers and sometimes superiors, um, and a lot of times too, depression can be the result of some other service-connected disability, so for example, if um, a veteran hurts her knee in service and is unable to do the types of things that she once enjoyed because uh, as a result of the knee, um, oftentimes that can lead to a diagnosable depressive disorder. And then
1: I know um, we touched on this earlier when talking about PTSD, but we mentioned that you do need a stressor
2: for PTSD cases. Do you need a stressor in these cases with MDD? No, you don't. Um, That's the, the, the difficult thing about a PTSD claim is that the VA requires more corroboration of what happened to you in service if your diagnosed disability is PTSD than it does if your diagnosed disability is anything other than PTSD. So even when we're talking about military sexual trauma, technically under the law if the thing that happened to you in service has to do with a personal assault but the resulting diagnosis associated with your residuals of that assault is major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder as opposed to PTSD. Technically, VA under the law isn't supposed to require that high level of corroboration that you need if you have PTSD. Um, it's unclear to me why uh, VA treats them these these two uh, topics so differently. But uh, the Court of Veterans Appeals uh, a couple decades ago agreed that it was uh, appropriate, and so that's the state of the law. Okay, and
1: then to wrap up our discussion on depression again Any other pieces of advice or great pieces of evidence you could submit to help your claim?
2: Well, the best evidence is always documentation in the service treatment record So if you if, if, if a veteran sought treatment or complained to a doctor in service that she was experiencing low feelings or even anxiety or anything like that then that's going to be your best evidence, but Um, A lot of times people don't seek treatment for having the blues or something like that that can actually be um, indicative of of a major depressive disorder or turn into something like that. Um, So, in those cases, the best evidence that you can submit is... Statements from yourself or anybody else who has personal knowledge of how you felt back then or how you acted back then and an Explanation for why you did not see treatment which could be something as simple as I didn't realize I had a problem Great
1: Okay, let's move on to uh, number four which would be migraine headaches and um, Kayla If you could explain to us a little bit about migraine headaches and uh, how women develop those from service sure
0: Um, So migraine headaches are obviously a very severe condition and they do come with a lot of residual issues Um, You know when someone experiences a migraine, they usually also experience things like um, photosensitivity or noise sensitivity um, Nausea vomiting lightheadedness Um, So it can be a really debilitating condition for a lot of women um, and a lot of veterans in general Um, So currently about 24,000 female veterans um, are receiving benefits for migraine. So there's a lot Some of the most common reasons that we see it being related to service is actually secondary to other conditions. Um, So we see it commonly with um, neck conditions, for example, when they have a lot of pain in their neck, it may cause um, issues with headaches. We also see it secondary to a lot of psychiatric conditions. So with increased stress, um, sometimes those will trigger migraines as well.
1: Great. And again, how is it best um, to build a strong case for migraine
0: headaches? Um, So when VA is rating migraine headaches, what they're really looking at is how prostrating, Mm. as they call it, um, the migraines are, which really just means how debilitating it is. Um, So I think lay evidence is probably going to be one of your most important pieces of evidence here um, and describing how severe your symptoms are. Um, It can be really helpful to talk specifically about the things that you're not able to do um, when you do have a migraine because they're looking at, you know, Does it require you to basically be in bed in a dark room with no noise Um, or does it affect you to the point where you can't complete your normal activities of daily living like cooking or cleaning or you have to call out of work? Um, Some sort of economic inadaptability. Um, So, talking about how severe it is and how it prevents you from doing those day-to-day things um, and how frequently that happens is, I think, going to be one of the most important pieces of evidence.
1: Great. And I feel like this can probably be said for all of the common disabilities we're talking about, but when you are scheduled for that VA exam, again, be as honest as possible. You know, Mm -hmm. if your headaches do... Um, you know are they incapacitating you have to lay down in a dark room for an hour um, It affects your ability to work you often miss work you leave early anything along those lines be as honest as possible uh, Because that is all taken into account. It's relied on extremely heavily by the VA um, and will be a crucial part of your case So again at all VA exams be as honest and uh, forthright as possible Absolutely Okay, um, so let's move on to number five uh, which would be gynecological conditions Um, and I believe 43% of all uh, VHA diagnosed conditions for women uh, involve at least one reproductive health condition. So Amy, why
2: don't we discuss that? So The VA schedule for rating disabilities recognizes a variety of conditions including like endometriosis Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, those types of really pretty common diseases and um, disabilities among women. Um, The problem though is that uh, most of those disabilities are are maxed out at 30%. In other words, you can't get a rating higher than 30%. Um, And that rating is available, a disability rating is available after you've proven that the um, disability is somehow related to service. And it doesn't have to be related to something that happened in service. So that's a really important thing to remember, especially with gynecological conditions. Um, There doesn't have to be some sort of like service-related injury that you suffered in service in order to have uh, gynecological condition service-connected. Rather, if the disease first began, first manifested in service, then that's enough to get service connection, and the rationale behind that is that, um, you know, VA benefits are kind of a form of workers' comp uh, benefits, to, to keep it simple. And a service member's workday never ends, so everything that happens to the service member while she is in um, in the military is considered service connection. So, if you have endometriosis and it was first diagnosed in service, and you are entitled to benefits even though there wasn't any type of injury that caused the endometriosis. But once, once you have established service connection, then you go on to, well, what's the disability rating? And as we were just discussing, um, for a disease like endometriosis, the, the maximum rating is 30%. It doesn't matter if it's so severe that you are laid up in bed for a week with cramps and um, Are totally debilitated by it or if you have cramps occasionally that are moderate um, And uh, don't keep you debilitated for a full week as long as it's not controlled by medication You get 30% so that is I think a major flaw in the schedule for rating gynecological problems and just really quick Why do you think that is that it maxes out at 30%? So I, I I think that part of the reason is that, um, you know, it's a not little, to get too political. Right? <laughs> um, it's been around for a while. Right. It was probably uh, written and developed by men, um, which is not to say that men. There are no men in this world who right. can who understand gynecological conditions. There are many, many fine gynecologists out there who are men. Mm -hmm. Um, But another issue with it too is that VA hasn't had a ton of experience relatively with these types of um, issues because women have not been in the VA benefit system um, based on their own service in the numbers that they have more recently. Um, My hope is that uh, this area will continue to develop and grow and to become a little bit more representative of the wide array of severity of these types of disabilities. Great. And I know you touched on this briefly, but just to be clear about it, what
1: are some ways that your gynecological condition could start from service or some common
2: examples that we see? Well, certainly a, a veteran could experience a traumatic injury that results in an injury to the ovaries or the uterus. Yep. Um, Not to circle back to this, but one way that that might happen is through a personal assault. So Mm -hmm. that's an important thing to remember in pursuing and reviewing these claims as well. Um, I would wager to guess that most of these disabilities, it's just that they began while the veteran was in service Um, and it has nothing to do with anything that actually happened in terms of injuries, but it, it just was... Uh, a disability that began that. Another thing to keep in mind is that Gulf War veterans and by Gulf War I mean both the first Persian Gulf War and um, Iraq and more recently and even today. Gulf War veterans who experience unexplained gynecological issues, other, in other words um, symptoms that can't be attributed to a known diagnosis, those veterans are also entitled to Service connection for those problems because the law will presume that since it it can't be explained, it has to do with something that you were exposed to in the Gulf, in the Persian Gulf.
1: I think I even have a couple clients who maybe had children during service, That's and then right. certain, um, you know. Secondary issues stem from maybe something that went wrong during um, labor or anything kind of after that and you can get service connected that way Yeah, Um, so even things that you may not think oh, it's not directly due to service But if you were um, you know in service and you had a child or anything along those lines that will count for service connection That's true Um, And then did you want to touch on I know IVF treatments have kind of been um, brought up recently and so can you discuss anything about IVF treatments for service-connected conditions um, for stemming from gynecological conditions?
2: Yes, so just recently VA um, has approved paying for in vitro fertilization for veterans who suffer from infertility as a result of a service-connected gynecological condition. That's really a major breakthrough because a lot of women suffer um, and previously couldn't find any help from the VA and starting a family. That's great.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, why don't we move on to our next uh, common disability. That would be bronchial asthma. Um, so Kayla, I believe that over 10,000 veterans um, are diagnosed with bronchial asthma and actually receive VA benefits. Is that right? Correct. Great. And so, can we um, discuss maybe why that's so common among women veterans?
0: Yeah. So. Um, you know, like we had talked about earlier and like Amy just mentioned, um, more than half of our female veterans have served in the Gulf War. Right. Um, so, I think a majority of the reason we're seeing these issues is that um, they're exposed to things in the Persian Gulf that are causing respiratory symptoms. So, right. um, under the law, um, you are pre- presumed to be entitled to um, service connection for respiratory conditions if they have that unexplained um, etiology or pathophysiology like Amy had um, just Previously talked about a little bit more. Um, we also see uh, related to um, burn pit exposure. Mm. So if you served, um, you know, post 9/11 um, in um, the Southwest Theater, Southwest Asia Theater of Operations. Um, you may have been exposed to burn pits. Um, So you're inhaling um, all sorts of toxins and carcinogens um, and smoke and particulate matter, um, which can cause a lot of other respiratory issues as well.
2: Okay.
1: And so what are some good ways to be able to prove exposure or to prove that you were
0: around burn pits? Or what can people submit as
1: evidence to demonstrate that?
0: Um, service records can be really helpful. Um, so if you have service records that do put you in a location where you might be presumed um, entitled to these benefits, those are always going to be helpful. Um, lay evidence, again, is something that can be really important in these cases, right. um, particularly if you were exposed to burn pits, having um, lay evidence discussing how you were exposed to those burn pits, how frequently, um, how close you were to them, um, those can be you know, really helpful for VA adjudicators. Great.
1: Okay, so let's move on to our last condition, number seven. Um, this is tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on how you <laughs> pronounce it. Um, but it is uh, a hearing condition. So I often think of it as kind of that constant ringing in your ears. Uh, it often comes along with uh, service connection for hearing loss claims. So you usually see them kind of claimed at the same time, or um, if. Service action for hearing loss has been granted. Usually, tinnitus or tinnitus uh, would be granted as well. It kind of depends, but usually, see them hand in hand. Um, and I believe it's the most commonly claimed condition in all of VA benefit system, which is fascinating. Uh, so, Amy, why don't you discuss tinnitus? Do you say tinnitus or tinnitus? Tinnitus. Tinnitus. okay. Yes, I say tinnitus. <laughs> so, uh, why is tinnitus most commonly rated at ten percent? And maybe discuss the diagnostic code for it.
2: Well, it's most commonly rated at 10% because that's the only rating you can get for it. (laughs) Um, There are, of course, exceptions to every rule and in really extraordinary circumstances, it's possible that you can get more than 10%, but that's really difficult to prove and unlikely to succeed in most cases. So um, that's why uh, the VA rating schedule only recognizes a 10% rating for tinnitus. Um, But something to keep in mind is that sometimes when the tinnitus is I I just said tinnitus. I'm (laughs) I'm messing you up. (laughs) Sometimes the tinnitus is so extraordinary that it leads to um, like depression Mm. or or uh, anxiety, difficulty communicating with um, others, and then in that case, there's always the possibility of secondary service connection for the anxiety or depression. And in terms of proving your
1: claim for tinnitus, I know I feel like in our practice we see all the time that maybe tinnitus would be uh, denied because perhaps the veteran didn't start it, experiencing it until many years after service. Mm-hmm. Is that a good reason to deny any hearing loss claim?
2: Not in every case. Um, the, f- the first thing about proving claims for tinnitus is that tinnitus is a little bit uh, unique in that You don't need a diagnosis because just like you are competent to say my knee hurts. In other words, you have enough, you don't need medical training to be able to say my knee hurts. You don't need medical training to see that I have ringing in my ears and that is enough to have a diagnosis of tinnitus. So that's um, something unique about it. But the other thing that's unique about it is that VA um, and VA examiners often say that if it didn't begin in service, then it can't possibly be related to um, the type of hearing or I'm sorry, the type of acoustic trauma or noise exposure that veterans um, are subject to and, and that's not necessarily true in all cases. Um, there is a lot of uh, emerging research out there that says that it is possible that uh, the type of noise exposure that veterans receive in service can affect the nerves inside the ear in such a way that it doesn't actually register until many years later. So um, if you are a veteran who has been denied service connection for tinnitus, tinnitus or hearing loss simply because it didn't begin in service, um, your best bet is to get on the internet, track down those um, articles. And Submit them to the VA for reconsideration. There's especially an especially important one called um, Noise and military service from the Institute of Medicine. It's available. Mm -hmm. I believe even on VA's website. Yeah
1: Yes, I think we cite to that sometimes and I was just reading it earlier today So it is definitely available would probably just Google it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, great. So, we have gone through the seven most common uh, disabilities that affect women veterans. And so, I guess in closing, um, Amy and Kayla, do you have any last pieces of advice or words of wisdom for um, any female veterans out there looking for help
0: or guidance?
2: (laughs) Did we hit on everything? Yeah. I would just say if if you need help with your um, claims, you, you can contact us. Um, or you can contact your local yep. disabled American veterans representative. Yep. Um, there are a lot of uh, new rules coming into play now uh, and you know the, the VA system, the claims adjudication system is supposed to be veteran friendly and very helpful to veterans, but it's actually a very difficult system to navigate, um, so don't be afraid to ask for help. Definitely. Yep.
0: Yeah, we are here for you if
1: you need anything, and as are our colleagues at the DAV, and it's always great to reach out for help, um, and don't be afraid to do so. Um, So with that, I think we are wrapping up our Facebook Live today. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to call us or leave a message on our Facebook Live. Uh, You can check out our website again, www.cck-law.com. Again, a ton of information on there with blogs, um, graphics, really helpful information. Um, So with that, we'll see you next time. Thanks.
2: This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm Chisholm &
0: Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in their VA disability plan. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.